everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jump Music Initiative podcast. Today we have Misha from Misha and the Spanx with us here today. So welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So I'm going to give you guys a quick little introduction on Misha. I'm going to read a piece of her bio and then we'll get into some questions. Misha and the Spanx are a high-octane garage rock duo from Calgary, Alberta, formed in 2008, made up of Misha Louie and Sean Hamilton. Their 2018 release, Girls, 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 reached success on the charts and landed them on the cover of Beatroot magazine, accompanied by 30 dates across Canada and at the YYC Music Awards at 29, on 20, <laughs> 2019, Girls, Girls, Girls brought home Rock Recording of the Year and Single of the Year, as well as securing Misha Female Artist of the Year. So, yeah, Misha's from Calgary, and I will ask her the first question. The first thing I'd like to ask you, just to give everyone kind of a little bit of a background on who you are, is can you just tell everyone what your role in the industry is? So I'm a performer. Um, when I first started getting into music, I booked like all ages punk rock shows at my community hall in Invermere, BC, where I grew up in the East Kootenays of British Columbia. Um, so I've always been kind of in a performer role, but putting on those shows kind of let me play at the when we had bands coming through uh, in Vermeer, mostly from Calgary, which was pretty cool and got me connected with the Calgary scene. But um, yeah, I'm an artist. I manage my music as well. Um, do all my own grant writing, songwriting, and kind of kind of do a bit of everything. That's awesome. Um, how did you get into this role in the music industry? Um, did you, is this something, is this the, sorry, is this the direction you always knew you wanted to take? Uh, I wasn't, you know, like when I was a lot younger, I did like singer-songwriter stuff that wasn't very good. I have like a CD that I found recently moving that I'm like, ooh, cringy about. <laughs> but I was definitely more in the singer-songwriter vein. I liked a lot of Bonnie DeFranco, um, that kind of stuff. And then I got really into punk rock, I think in like grade seven. And so I started playing in, trying to play in punk rock bands when I was like 13, 14. And I always kind of wanted to play, I, I discovered like the MC5 and then I wanted to get into like rock and roll punk rock. And so I it took me a long time to get this project in that kind of louder direction, but uh, I'm playing now what I always envisioned myself playing eventually. For sure. Very cool. Um, Man, it's so good to see you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, I don't know if everyone knows, but um, Misha is one of the co-founders of the Girls Rock Camp, which is really, really cool. You guys have been running how many years now? I think this would have been seven. This would have, ah. I know, right? <laughs> totally, totally. So um, what was kind of the inspiration behind putting together a Girls Rock Camp? Well, Nicola, our uh, main founder, had the idea, and she brought me on board to help her orchestrate it the first year in uh, 2013. And uh, I was so excited to do something like this because, I mean, I think probably a lot of us can relate that we didn't have something like this when we were first playing music. And especially being in punk rock and rock and roll, there wasn't, there were hardly even any women for me to look up to let alone like that were tangible and contactable and like I could actually talk to somebody and learn from. So like I had none of that, you know, so I had to kind of like act stronger than I was and try to figure it out from all these boys who felt pretty uninviting really when I was first learning. So when there, and I knew there were some girls rock camps, but there wasn't anything out here as far as I knew. So when Nicola contacted me to help get the ball rolling, I was so excited because that was the kind of thing that was really missing. And I think that, 
I mean, I think now it's a little more even, but there was definitely a deficit of female friended performers, especially in those harder genres. And I think a large reason for that is because we didn't have that community already there. You know, we were, there was like, you had to really tough it out to do it because there was nobody else there to kind of hold your hand or, or help you or, or like walk you through it. You know, maybe the, the one star in the magazine who was playing rock and roll, who was a woman, but, but what are you going to do with that? Read the odd article, right? So yeah. I think um, having that kind of approachability and direct contact and like seeing a woman that you know on stage or touring or doing something makes it so much more encouraging. And I would, I would credit that, I think, to a lot of how many more female artists we see today or who are at least getting recognition, whereas before there'd be room for one, you know, like the token. Of course, yeah. right. And so, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Go ahead. no, go ahead, Maddie. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you feel like there's added challenges being a woman in the music industry or a girl in the music industry? And do you think things are improving? I think things are improving. Um, more like I kind of read that off the girls at camp, like what they say their experiences are and stuff. And like they all seem every year, I mean, everyone's had their own different experiences, but every year I see more and more they're, they're braver and they're feeling less like they're totally on their own or it's not something that they are able to do. Um, whereas, yeah, like when I was a kid, pretty different experience. So I kind of see the transformation happening via the girls in camp um and personally like i always wonder is it because i've been doing this so long that like i have those connections now and i have earned some respect from some of the industry that i work with if i was brand new a woman playing music and it was my first time doing a tour or something would my experience be much like when it was my first time so it's kind of hard for me to tell if it's changed in the industry i do day to day or if i've just you know worked my way to a place where i don't face those same problems anymore yeah, I feel that. I feel like I can never answer that question exactly accurately anymore these days. But um, so what would you say kind of like advice for um, a young person, a young girl starting up in the, in the rock industry, in the rock scene? I would say like, don't hold back and like, try not to be too shy. Like, go for it. If you're going to do it, like, go for it. And like, you're don't be discouraged if the first time you were like super state had stage fright or something, you know, like you're going to get better every time you do it to take those experiences as, as practice and as learning curves and to just, if you want to do it, like you do it, follow through. Mm. I would say, I would say, you know, it's like, you got to amp yourself up for it. It's not just easier said than done as always. Right. But I feel like sticking it out is the biggest thing. You know, it can get really scary trying to put yourself out there. And if you really want to do it, you got to just stick it out. And you'll grow, you'll grow from it. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to ask you about was a little bit about how you met your bandmate and where you got your name from. So I was hanging on to the name Spanx, like in high school. I always wanted to have an all-girl band called the Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not even totally sure. Like, I think at the summer camp, there was a counselor named Spanky, and she was just this badass girl, and I was like, oh, the Spanx, like, that's totally cool. <laughs> so I hung, and I hung on to it, and I was never in an all-girl band, and when my last band, Bogart, broke up, you know, I went through all these bands where we're all equal members, but then there's so much conflict, and then the band breaks up, 
and then you lose all of your songs and you start everything over again. And I was tired of it. So I wanted to have a band that was mine. If people don't want to tour anymore, that's cool. I'll get new people. If people don't want to do whatever anymore, it's like, it's still my project as my songs and everything. And so I was going to finally use the name, the Spanx and decided to make it Misha and so I could just own what I was doing. It would be <laughs> mine. You know, and I've, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of turnover in bandmates because it is hard to tour and stay on board especially if this isn't your number one, like if you have a real job and you're using vacation time to tour, like your spouse isn't going to be crazy about that forever. <laughs> you know, like they don't want to go on vacation. <laughs> and so stuff like that kind of happens. And you're not really, you know, for so long in your career, you are being paid in exposure and experience. So you're not bringing home money from tour to pay your rent. You know, you're saving at your day job to pay rent while you're gone. And that's just, that's really difficult for people to do if they're not, 100% in the vision. So, yeah, so I cycled, but every two years or so, I'd cycle through a new a new player, a new drummer or so, because everybody kind of had other big first place priorities, and this is my priority. Um, but with Sean, Sean is crazy like me and is a professional musician, and this he kind of has the same situation going on where this is his all. And so we started, he started filling in for my old drummer, Amelia, um, in... I think it was like 2015 uh, when we were working together at Galaxy Diner. We, we kind of knew each other from around the music scene because he's played in punk bands like Jenny and uh, Sean Hamilton has his own solo singer-songwriter thing. So he was going to fill in on drums. I didn't realize he was a good drummer. I thought he just played, I guess I'm playing the hockey fight, which is like a scrappy, fast punk rock. So I was like, yeah, I thought he plays drums on the side or something, you know, like, and can play like that basic kind of punk rock drum. Uh, they showed up a band practice and like knew all the songs already, played them probably better than I've ever heard them played. And I was like, oh, you're a real drummer. <laughs> I didn't know that. And apparently, I guess he was a drummer first. <laughs> I didn't know. And so, um, yeah, so it was kind of a really fast connection. He started filling in. We were on vacation together in Mexico with a group of friends at the swim-up bar when I got the news that Amelia was moving to Victoria. So she was fully out. So it was like a, it was like a wedding proposal to Sean at the swim-up bar in Mexico. Like, will you be in this thing full time? And everybody had a shot and it was a big celebration. It was hilarious, but he joined full time uh, then. And so it's been, um, yeah, like five years now, I guess, with Sean this month, I think. And yeah, he works out really great because he is up for doing exactly what I'm doing in the, like the long haul and we have a really similar temperament so you know two people in a van for you know 16 hours we have a good flow of conversation and quiet and it all seems to work out really nice killer what's your guys's writing process like so i right now sean helps more than he has in the past i'm kind of, i'm a pretty private songwriter i have a hard time collaborating so like there's just so many jams where i'm like mm, i'm just not ready to show you yet you know and so i'll do everything but the drums maybe with like garage band drums with like logan and max are kind of a good sean combo so one of those guys i'll have on drums on garage band and then i bring him like almost a complete song but now um over the years i'm more comfortable showing like i'll have a chorus or i'll have a riff and i'll we'll kind of send stuff back and forth to help develop the song idea from way earlier stages than in the past. But I write all the vocals. Um, I guess, I, guess I, even on the last record, now I'm thinking about it, I did get him to like help me reword a few things. So it's like big steps for me because normally I don't show anybody anything until I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
awesome. And so, like, when you're writing the song, do you kind of come up with a melody first or lyrics first? Like, where's the song? Kind of either or. Like, this last record that we just recorded, um, I've been doing a lot of thinking of things while I'm in the dog park with my dog. So I'll, like, get to a private spot and voice memo a riff idea, like, vocally. <laughs> or, like, or a little <laughs> na-na-na part for a vocal or a one-liner. I've, I've really been trying to actively just record and um mark down any ideas that i have to so i have stuff to work with because i had a really big songwriting wall while i was pregnant my brain just like turned off I, i'm like i have all this time so i can't do anything i'm gonna write my whole pregnancy but there was nothing there was nothing my brain was just totally turned off and wow. that's i guess a, a pregnancy brain thing that people say it's totally uh it was real in my situation so I had nothing. So then I got really scared because I had plans to record and I hadn't written like anything all year. So I just started being really active about any idea, you know, try it out, record it and then develop it later. So lately that's kind of, it's been starting with any piece. That piece could be a little vocal melody, an idea for a guitar riff that I have later or a lyric. And I just kind of roll with all of it now. Yeah. That's awesome. That's actually something we were going to ask about you, how maybe your pregnancy or becoming a parent impacted the way you make art or the way you look at art. Do uh, you feel it's kind of evolved or changed in any way? You know what I've been noticing just trying to write lately, the things that like, well, the things that I write about are different. I mean, my life experiences are different. So it's like, I have to dig deep on a write about like, more wild times or something like that. I gotta dig deep. It's not like it's not my present experience. Um, the last song, the song that we just released, "Wanna Feel Good," is kind of about that. It's like about the. Um, I had like a I had I was pressure because we were recording and it was the last time that we could get into the studio before our producer was moving to Victoria. And so I came up with this new song, which I really shouldn't have because I didn't have time to write a new song. We were in the studio like two days later. And I just, it was just coming together so much better than the one I had been trying to work on. And so I was like, well, like, what do I normally do to write this writer's block and, or to fix this writer's block? And I'm like, oh, normally I would like go to a show, have some drinks and like create an adventure and like create an environment, take my brain off it and let ideas just flow. And I'm like, I'm not you know, I'm like having coffee, my morning coffee in my office while my babies are having a nap. <laughs> like this is a totally different experience. So my, yeah, my creative process totally had to change where I had to start documenting every idea because I couldn't just go create ideas the same way that I used to. So that's been a big impact. And they had the pregnancy having like no, um, God, just having no creative juices, no juices really, you know, like I couldn't plan, I couldn't follow through with plans. I couldn't do anything it was ridiculous it was a, a really different experience but um but now I mean I feel you know what I feel less like is this a cool idea you know I find ideas more um more real like I would care about if an idea had like cred like street cred like if it would look cool to the local scene and now I'm more interested in is it good writing is it a good song Am I, am I proud of this less than caring what people think? I mean, you're always writing for an audience, but that, that part of me that cared about that stuff is gone. Wow. Interesting. That's not what I was expecting you to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, that whole, like, pregnancy brain thing. I mean, you had twins, so, yeah. <laughs> like, like, just extra 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there was a guy, you're going to get pregnancy brain. It's like, I don't know. What, what even is that? It's like, oh, it's totally like where you forget things like within 15 minutes and like coming up with ideas is just, I don't know. I mean, everyone's probably different. But that's how I experienced it. Your babies are still pretty young though, hey? Yeah, uh, 14 months. Okay. So have you had a chance to like, I mean, you must've been on mat leave and then um, COVID happened. So have you had a chance to tour or do anything like that? We had a lot of plans like pretty close to when they, right after they were born. So uh, two weeks after they were born, we opened for Propaganda at Dickens. And that show in my brain, I was always prepared to cancel that if my body wasn't like good and like, Oh, I think it was three weeks after they were born. A week, but then at two weeks, my body like all of a sudden snapped, recovered. And I was like, oh, good. I don't have to cancel the show. Like all of a sudden it was like, I could stand long enough to play a show. <laughs> it, was a, it was really good timing. But so we did that. We did um, Breakout West and White Horse. They turned one month old while we were there. We brought them with us. Um, and the YWC Music Awards were like a week before that. So I had like three big things in September, like within the month that they were born, which was kind of crazy. So it felt like all the stuff was happening and kind of then I took my maternity leave from performing and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were just gonna be going and ending my maternity leave in March when everything happened. So we just started recording. We were playing South by Southwest. We were going out to Estonia to play the Music Week. We had some UK festivals. We had all this stuff happening. And so it's now like an extended leave like we've already been on a big hiatus and then we got kind of forced into another one. So that's been a bummer, but one of the nice things we did get to do is record. So we have been releasing uh, singles as we kind of go along every three months is the idea. So the next one will be in January. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of limited what we can get done these days, but. I wanted to ask a little bit more about your 2008 release, Girls, 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 because it seemed from telling from your bio and what I've heard about you, it had a lot of success on the charts. And what, uh, what was that experience like? That was really fun because we got to work with Danny Ferrant, who plays drums in the Buzzcocks, who like he's not an original member, but that's, you know, he's been with them for like 10 years or something. And the Buzzcocks are like a pretty big deal for, for me and Sean anyways, you know, they're classic <laughs> rock. Um, I met him at Sled Island in 2011 when they were playing. I, I snuck backstage and ended up stealing some of the Buzzcocks beer and became friends with him. <laughs> and so we, uh, yeah, I kind of tour guided him around Sled Island and became friends. He saw our set. A few months later, he asked me to do some session work for him. Um, him and Paul Rossi, another producer, do like music for film and TV. And so I did some session work for them like a few times a year, I would do some songs until eventually we decided to make an album together that they would produce. So we, in the middle of like, I think it was a three month tour across Canada. It was pretty crazy. We flew to the UK from Montreal and did a week in the UK recording with them before flying back to Montreal and picking tour up again, which is pretty wild. But recording in the UK was awesome. Working with him was awesome. Because they're such strong songwriters, um, we had so much collaborative work on the album. Um, so it came from a really cool place, like something that we'd never done before. And then uh, once we got everything finished, it had a lot of success, like on the national charts and then with the Indigenous Music Countdown and yeah, more, more accolades than we've ever seen before. And then the YYC Music Awards, that was like, such a great tier to have our album on 
um, going forward with the next step is kind of like, feel that pressure to like do better. <laughs> no, for sure. And could you talk a little bit more about what the, what the process is behind arranging a, a tour, how that all came about? Uh, well, I've been booking, I so I don't have an agent for booking in Canada because I've been doing it myself for a really long time, back to like my older punk bands and stuff. So probably like 15 years of booking Canada or something. Wow. Uh, we play smaller clubs. So it's the kind of places where some of my tour dates are even booked over Facebook Messenger because I'm now friends with the promoter or the venue or something. So it's kind of like uh, you make like a map, you try to figure out where your ideal dates are, and then it's contacting. It's so much coordination because, you know, every other band in the world is doing the same thing that you're doing too. So having, I feel like the first tour across Canada is always kind of the worst because you're just playing the weird nights and you're, you're meeting the people that are going to help you have better tours next time and even better the next time and better the next time. And so it's when you're booking independently, I feel like, you're really putting your time in every time you tour, you get closer to something better. So we had a pretty easy time booking that tour um, just because we've done it so many times before. Um, but like, yeah, promoters change and stuff all the time. So then you gotta find, you know, the worst part is like finding local bands yourself to play with you. I, I hate when that gets like put on our shoulders, which is always for like a dumb weeknight show. And you're like, oh my God, what band, <laughs> what band wants to like, play on Monday in their hometown, you know, God, it, it's a headache. I would love to not do it anymore, but I'm glad that I have done it for so many years. So I have that experience and I kind of know what to expect when I'm, when I'm at a venue, but it's a lot of just like handwriting and crossing out things in calendars and hoping it all lines up and making totally out of the way drives when it doesn't. <laughs> Um, why did you choose to book all your own tours instead of having a booking agent? I think that's just how it started for me. Um, like I used to book at my, in my hometown community hall. And so I had a little bit of an idea of how things went because I used to do it myself. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, like you start with like Calgary and Edmonton and then you're booking like Vancouver. And once you start doing a small BC circuit, it doesn't feel so daunting to just go to Winnipeg and then, go to Toronto and you start playing festivals in Toronto and you start to know other venue people there. So it, it doesn't seem that crazy. I've never like tried to get an agent before. Um, so the idea of trying to feels more daunting to me than booking mm -hmm. it. <laughs> also because I always have things in a schedule. Like I always have planning so far ahead, but it's like, I need an agent to book this tour by this time. Like how long do I wait for someone to do it before I should just do it myself. And I think that's been kind of the story of my whole career is like, I've got things, I've got momentum and stuff I want to do. If I don't do it myself now, then I'll be totally off the rails. And that's kind of always been my mentality. It's just like, if you want your timeline and your thing to happen and do it, if you can. But uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, especially with like the twins now, I definitely am interested in handing duties to somebody mm -hmm. else. <laughs> Can you tell us, like, what um, is next for you in your career? Do you have any plans upcoming, or have they um, changed or adapted based on COVID? Still kind of adapting them, but we do have an EP coming out in March. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang tight to that date, regardless if we can tour it or perform, I think. Just to the nature of everything right now, like, if you wait for things to be back to normal, it could be 2022. It could be, like, so long, so... We're going to go, and it's an EP, not a full length. So I feel like we can go ahead with the March release 
and do something. Maybe we'll do a fancy live stream or something if we have to. Who knows? Who knows? But what we are kind of keeping on track with is like radio is still a thing. Um, you know, playlists, podcasts, music videos. We can still film music videos. So we're just kind of trying to adapt to what's happening and keep content rolling. We are like very much a touring band. So this is a very weird adjustment for us to, you know, like half the time, if I do any kind of industry networking, it's at a show. So trying to seek these things out digitally is a pretty interesting set to be doing them in. For sure. <laughs> Lisa, do you have any other questions specifically for Misha? Um, Man, you answered so much stuff. Okay, so <laughs> you're kind of like a do-it-yourself lady, which is yeah. incredible. Um, why did you choose to, to do so many of the things like yourself? I mean, it's just a necessity to make things happen, I think. Like, especially when I started this band. I mean, it came from a place of wanting things to be on my own terms and to be, happen exactly how I want. And so, like, waiting around trying to get your team together and stuff. Like, I just felt like I should just hit the ground running and just do it and just get things moving. And then as that happened, I gained more experience in these fields. And like one of the things like I've been thinking lately about, I should get a manager maybe because it's hard to juggle with the babies and everything to stay as organized as I once was. But like the idea of like, who's gonna like bust their butt like I do for me, oh. you know? Like who like loves what I'm doing as much or more than I do. And it's like, I just like, I get all ramped up, like, okay, I'm gonna make some pitches, I'm gonna see if I can find the person. And then I'm like, ah, oh, but like, is it worth it? I don't know. <laughs> like, probably, probably yes, long term, probably yes. But I just, I definitely, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of a control freak. I just, <laughs> things, things like, I want things to happen a certain way, so I, I, it's easier to just do them. I think is, I don't know if that's not the best advice to give or good advice to give. But I think, I think in everyone's career, there's an element of DIY that you have to start with and build it from there, you know, figure out your capabilities. Like I obviously enjoy it a little or I wouldn't have kept doing it this long. Mm -hmm. Man, mad respect to you for doing all of that. I love it. I saw that you're making t-shirts. Like, are you making your own merch right now? I want to, I'm looking for some silk screen, but my holdup is like, am I actually doing this? Like, cause there's <laughs> good deals on big setups on Kijiji but they're like pretty expensive, but it's a good deal. But if I like do a one run of t-shirts and I'm like, I hate this, <laughs> like what am I gonna do with this thing? So I'm kind of humming, humming and hawing about getting like a simple one or what I should do about it. But I think, yeah, like trust trying to adapt to how things are. Like I'm not selling merch at shows, you know? Mm -hmm. So we don't have any new merch because I was making new merch for tours. So maybe I should start doing like short runs myself, you know, and selling like 20 t-shirts and then making a new kind of t-shirt or something I know or am I now taking on too much I don't know <laughs> but that's my new idea is I w I'd like to start making some merch and just making small runs and selling them just as a way to interact with fans still you know that's awesome um is there a piece of advice or especially during COVID I guess for young artists or young girls um to keep adapting and changing with the times and to stay active or what advice would you leave the young music scene off with? Well, I mean, it was so hard because I'm, I'm trying to like figure this out myself too, right? <laughs> but I would say like, don't take a break. Take advantage of this downtime to maybe be creative, learn some new skills, 
try out some new pedals or guitars or new settings on your amp, you know, like there's not a lot we can do, but that's something that we can do, right? Is like learn new skills and get creative with how we make our music. For sure. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Misha. It was so yeah, fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It was really nice to chat with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're such a badass. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trying my best. <laughs> follow, follow the dreams. <laughs> All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Nice to see you.